Take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 7, please. I do want to make what I think are some very uh, legitimate connections to some of the truths that we've been seeing in the book of Romans, in our sermon series there. But primarily, primarily I want to preach the gospel. Uh, you might, might say the gospel according to Joshua. Let's, let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help. Lord, you've given us your word and a full three-fourths of your word is your word for us, what we call the Old Testament. And we are meant to learn from the example of Israel. So Lord, we pray that you'd help us to do that this morning. We are not uh, superior in and of ourselves as we see their great failures, page after page in the Old Testament. Lord, as we witness Israel sometimes relying on you and winning great victories because of your strength, and other times not seeking you at all and being laid low. But you are God, and right now we don't want to fail to pray that you would help us. May your will be done. May your kingdom come. Lord, in us this morning, in this particular church service, among these believers gathered here in this place, we pray for this sermon, for our hearts, God, help us now. Apart from you, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. You are the vine, we are the branches. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. He is holy. Look with me at Joshua chapter 7, verse 10. You're looking for a title this morning. We're talking about Achan, Achan. We're thinking about sin in the camp. Joshua chapter seven, verse 10. Then the Lord, or the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless... You destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Joshua 7, 10 through 13. We'll pause right there for just a moment. Did you know that there is a time, 
sometimes to not pray. Oh, that God would truly help us to be a people of prayer and to give ourselves to fervent, believing prayer. There's always a time to pray. There's always a time to pray. God, help us to be a praying church. But even as I say that there's always a time to pray, I have to give that caveat again. Have you ever thought about the fact that there are times when it is not appropriate to pray? Here in Joshua chapter 7, verses 10 through 13, you could see that it's bracketed by the Lord saying to Joshua, the Lord, the God of Israel says to him twice, at the beginning of what we've read and at the end, he says what? Get up. Because Joshua was lying prostrate, he was lying with his face to the ground, of course, in a manner of prayer, and God says to him, get up. In other words, what he's saying to him is, there's something that you need to know, Joshua. There's something that you don't know. I need to inform you. I need to correct your ignorance about a particular subject. I need to inform you. The Lord informs him. He says to him, basically, now is not the time for prayer. There's sin in the camp. And so now is the time for action. Now is the time for you to begin to take steps to eradicate the sin in the camp. Get up off of your face. In many ways, you're doing the right thing, but not now. Not now. What one person does, listen to me, what one person does can have a massive effect on others. And when what that one person does is wrong or evil, it can have a massively devastating effect on others. These are the very words I said to you a month or two ago. It can lead to death for many, many people. What one person does can have a massive effect on others. The good news is that in the same way, what one person does can have a massive effect on others. Thanks be to God for the obedience of Jesus Christ. For the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, we thought about this one phrase. And the phrase, as you may remember if you were here, was, was this. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And I think that remains, I think that remains appropriate for this morning. Achan, sin in the camp. The gospel according to Joshua Joshua chapter seven. I've been doing some, I guess you could say, personal reading. One book that's helped me uh, recently was helping me to also think about this passage. I thought it would be good for us to look at it together. 
And although I don't want to put too much stress as we'll look at the end of the message on the connections with Romans 8, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, wow. But nevertheless, you could easily just look at this as a standalone sermon. In verses 10 through 13, which we have read, and, and I know that this passage may be familiar to some and it may not to others. So let me just, let me just try not to take anything for granted as we think about this man named Achan and Joshua 7. What's this all about? What does this have for us this morning? In verses 10 through 13, the Lord informs Joshua. He says, Hey, there's sin in the camp. Like I've already said, he says, now is the time for action. Now, prayer is action. In fact, there's actually no greater action that we can do as a church than prayer. You know, we went out not long ago and we tried to meet some of our neighbors and I hope that we can do that again. And we tried to just say hello to our neighbors and as the opportunity presented to also share the gospel with them. And so many times when we do something like that or when the church is getting ready to go to the soup kitchen, we feel like the real action is to do the thing is to go out witnessing or to go to the service project. And so we pray beforehand and then we go do the thing. But prayer is the action. So I say all that just simply to say prayer is the greatest action. However, that's what makes it so unusual. That's what makes this so strange is he says, stop praying. He says, and this is a phrase that is over and over and over again, in Joshua chapter seven, maybe you've already noticed, but it is so prevalent. It is this phrase, devoted things, devoted things, devoted things. He says, Joshua, I need to tell you that there are devoted things in the camp. There are things that shouldn't be there among you, my people, Israel. And they are there. They have been taken there has been stealing. There has been lying. Look at verse 14. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. Joshua seven fifteen. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. Boys and girls, I want you to pay careful attention this morning. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel, So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Verse 20, and Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I did. 
Think about Eve in the Garden of Eden when you read this. Verse 21, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel and they laid them down before the Lord. We'll stop right there for just a moment. What is Joshua chapter seven is about? It's about Achan. It's about sin in the camp. Now there's two ways, just two things here that you can break down this chapter. There's 26 verses in Joshua chapter seven. The book of Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. It involves uh, Israel's conquest of the land of Canaan, the promised land, part of the promise that God had given to Abraham. Now he has promised them and it is beginning to be fulfilled. They are entering into the promised land, Canaan, and they have already, we won't spend any time on this, they have already by God's strength alone and not their own devise, devising, by God's strength, they have taken the city of Jericho. And here we are in chapter seven. And I'll get this, there's 26 verses. Okay, one section of Joshua seven is 10 through 26. 10 through 26. That is where the bulk of the action takes place. That is where everybody finally knows what's happening. That is where, beginning in verse 10, the Lord informs Joshua, although Joshua had previously been ignorant about the sin in the camp, and Joshua, we see, is faithful to the T. He is faithful to a T to obey the Lord's instructions. Now, the other section that we break down Joshua 7 is verses 1 through 9. And in verses 1 through 9, we see a bit of a disaster we see a disaster. But the interesting thing is, if you're paying attention already, you see that beginning in verse 10, the, the people and their leader, Joshua, they don't know about this. However, the narrator, the narrator has actually told us everything we need to know in beginning in verse one. We, in this story, we know everything in verse one. Joshua and the other people will know more later. What do we know? Look at verse one. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, the, might say the best tribe, took, who took? Achan. What did he do? He took some of the devoted things. Now notice this. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Here's Joshua chapter seven, verse one. The anger, listen, the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel because Israel was guilty because Achan had taken some of the devoted things. And Joshua chapter seven ends by saying, basically, the anger of the Lord, the wrath of God was placated 
when they obeyed and when they got rid of the devoted things. All right, you see that? At the end of Joshua chapter seven, God's holy wrath, his holy anger against his people is, is done away with because there was a sacrifice, we might say. And at the beginning, we must not miss, although the first part of verse one is important, the second part is also very important. The anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. He He is holy. The holiness of God. The holiness of God. He has already told his people in the law of Moses, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. This is both covenants. This is the new covenant and the old covenant. You My people shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. He is a holy God. Do you know what that means this morning? It means that he is other. It speaks to his otherness. It speaks to everything that means that he is God. What it means to be God is is multiple things. You talk about the attributes of God. But in a sense, you've hit the bullseye if you talk about the holiness of God. It's what it means to be God. He's transcendent, which just simply means he is other. He is different. He is not like us. He is God. He is holy, and we are not. We are creatures. He is creator. We are sinners. He is morally upright with no blemish whatsoever. Look at verse two. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, notice this in verse three, do not, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few, whose they are few, the people of Ai. So about 3,000 men went up from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. By the way, two times already in the book of Joshua, it was said of Israel's enemies that their hearts melted and became as water. Now the tables have turned. Now it is God's people whose hearts are melted and become as water. Verse six. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And I hope you see how it ties together here. 
where we started reading, verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? You didn't know this, Joshua. You, you did not know why you just got your, your tails whooped by the men of Ai. But I need to tell you that Israel has sinned. Just a little bit more of context so we make sure we know what's going on. You may know that in the book of Joshua, there's a lot of great stories, and I've already mentioned one of them, and that is that the, the God's people, the people of Israel, took the city of Jericho uh, by really no army uh, of their own. They were active. They did do something, but it was all God because God is sovereign. God is God. God is holy. And again, you and I are not God. We think we are, but we're not. God will get glory for himself. God is concerned with the glory of God. That's why in verse nine, when Joshua prays, at least he gets that part right. His whole prayer is not wonderful, but at least at the end he says, and what will you do for your great name? This is about the name of God and God's name is at stake. And God also wants his covenant people to be obedient. He also wants his covenant people to be obedient. And so he had given them the victory at Jericho. And after Jericho, the next step was to fight and easily win over a much smaller city called Ai. And we just read what happened. They sent out spies. They did not consult with the Lord, but he sent out spies. Go, go scope it out for us. Okay, we scoped it out. AI is not that daunting. It would be a waste of human resources to send all of Israel or at least all of the fighting men. Let's not send anywhere close to all of the fighting men. Let's send two or 3,000. Okay, we'll go with the larger number. They go up. This is gonna be easy. We're gonna march on and continue taking and they get whooped and 36 men die and their backs are turned to their enemy, and the hearts of God's people melt, whereas that had previously been true of their enemies. And we have not yet been told, except for verse one, why this is the case. God is holy. Can I point out something else? The church of Jesus Christ is not merely a collection of, of individuals saved by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is not merely a collection of individuals who have repented of their sins and trusted themselves to the mercy of God through Jesus. God does save us individually. He cares about us individually. But in this passage, let me say to, to us, to the church today, God says, Israel is guilty. You gotta get this. Israel is guilty. That's not fair. It was only Achan. It was only Achan who in the midst, what Achan had done is Jericho had been defeated. It was awesome. It was awesome. And then Achan goes into somebody's house after they had clearly been told in Joshua 6, 17 through 19. Joshua 6, 17 through 19. If you want to know more about the devoted things, you're supposed to wipe everything out. And Achan took, he took a cloak. He took gold and silver, which were to belong to the treasury of the Lord. 
And for one man's sin, in this passage, listen to me, for one man's sin, God says, I hold, I impute his sin, I account his sin to the whole people. You're all guilty. You're all condemned. You are now the devoted things. In a turn of phrase, don't touch the devoted things. Take out everything in Jericho. And now God's people have become those that are devoted to destruction. All because of one man's sin. The first thing I wanted us to do this morning was to look at Joshua 7. Second thing, more brief, is Jesus and the gospel. First thing is Achan, Joshua 7. I told you that the action is in 10 through 26, but that does not mean that verses 1 through 9 are unimportant. The second thing is Jesus and the gospel. Look at verse 23. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua. What's he talking about? He's talking about the devoted things. What Achan confessed back there in verse 21, the cloak, silver, the gold. They took them out of the tent, verse 23, and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. They laid them down before the Lord. Your whole life is open to the eyes of the Lord. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. Verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. Stop there for just a moment. You remember how the Lord did this. Joshua led the people through the Lord's purification process. Let me say that again. Joshua obediently led the people through the Lord's purification process. And what was that? God said, get up, consecrate yourselves. Tomorrow, we're going to start by tribes and I'm going to choose a tribe. And then from that tribe that I choose, I'm going to choose a clan. And from that clan that I choose, I'm going to choose a family. And from that family I choose, we're going to go man by man. And there's no doubt the perpetrator will be discovered. There was never any question. The guilty party will be known. Now, I know in many ways this, this, this text can, can feel heavy, rightly so. Listen. Middle of verse 24. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor, which means trouble. Verse 25. And Joshua said to Achan, who all that he had done, remember, the only thing he had done was take a few things. Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today and all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them plural, them plural, they, they burned with fire. 
and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then, then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Listen, and I quote, Achan, representing the people, deserved to be killed for his sin. Jesus, representing his people, did not. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Listen, as I continue to quote, both Achan and Jesus were executed to turn away God's wrath. But in a breathtaking act of substitution, we sinners, deserving the fate of Achan, are freely forgiven and welcomed into God's family because Jesus, our representative head, has paid for our sins. Do you remember what I said earlier? The Joshua chapter 7, which is a cool story, but it's not really a cool story. It's a heavy story. You remember I said at the end of Joshua chapter 7, pick, pick a word, the Lord's wrath is, is placated. His, his, his wrath is, is appeased. His, his holy anger, his holy anger is removed from his people. You see, God wasn't sparing his own people. He was wiping out the pagan nations, but when his people sinned against him, he did not treat them differently. You see, you got to see this. He was wiping out the rank unbelievers, but the believers were not spared his justice except when that key word earlier in Joshua chapter 7, you will be devoted unless unless you remove these things. And the message this morning, the message this morning is not first of all about church discipline. The message is not first of all about let's go home today and search our houses and better yet, search our hearts for what we may need to be removed. But the message is that we like Achan are doomed. We are doomed apart from grace. And like Achan, we deserve the wrath of God. This seems so harsh. This seems so strange. Does it seem harsh to you? Does Joshua 7 seem like this must be the God of the Old Testament who somehow has got to change in the New Testament? But Aaron read for us Acts chapter 5, of course. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is holy. He is transcendent. He is overall, he is other, he is different. And the wrath of God is taken away when Achan and his animals and his family are burned and stoned. And in the same way, Romans Chapter 5, and this isn't even one of my connections. And in the same way, Romans 5 says that Adam is our representative head. There's so many parallels here with Adam and Achan. Achan was the representative head of the people of Israel in this moment. God was not joking when he said, I hold all Israel guilty. 
the whole of Israel had entered into covenant with him, and therefore the whole of Israel had broken faith. Do you see? One man, that's not fair. No, no, no. Please rethink that. Please consider. We have not yet considered the awesomeness of God and the puny sinfulness of ourselves. You have not yet considered the depths of your depravity and the awesome holiness of God through Jesus Christ. One man represents the people. One man represents the people and all of the people are ruined. And Romans 5, 12 through 21 says that one man ruined it for us all. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. I know this sermon might be a little different, but let me say it again. What one person does can have a massive effect on others. And praise God that in the gospel that is true of the obedience of Christ. As J. Gresham Machen said, thank God for the obedience of Jesus Christ. Thank God that the Lord Jesus Christ was obedient and that the Lord Jesus Christ represents all of his people. He is the representative head for his people, for a new humanity, for a new human race. This Christianity thing is not about a small religious thing that you do on Sunday. This is world changing. You are either in Adam or in Christ. And Achan is just one little picture, just one little example to remind us of the truths of Adam and Christ. And Christ is the representative head of all of his people. He died shedding his blood as our substitute so that we don't encounter the fate of Achan. Have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? It is not by checking boxes of church membership, baptism. It's not by works of the law. It's not by what you do. It's by resting on Christ. Have you rested your very life upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you thrown yourself on the mercy of God? You say, well, what do I do? Well, what do I do? I'm glad you asked because they asked Peter that. And Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent, repent, turn from your sin, trust in God. Say, God, I realize I am doomed like Achan. I am fallen in Adam. One man sends me to hell. And one man sends me to heaven through Christ, through faith, through grace. Now I save this to the, to the end here because I did not in any way want to act like I was trying to force a connection between Romans and this passage. But as I've mentioned, the more I thought about it, the more happily confident I am with leaving you with these things for a few minutes. Let me give you three connections. And you can think in your own mind about these connections between Joshua 7 and Romans or just take them as final applications, if you will. The first thing we did today was look at Joshua 7 and Achan. The second thing that we did was to look at Jesus and the gospel. And now finally, three things I've mentioned already last week. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. 
I think it's fitting to see Joshua 7 perhaps as an illustration of that. Be killing sin, my friends, or sin, not my friends, my brothers and sisters. That's Romans 8, 12 through 13. So then, brethren, we are under obligation. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Brothers and sisters, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's, that's what happened to Achan, right? Secondly, and this goes hand in hand, what is the mark of the Christian? Listen to me. What could we say is the mark of the Christian? And I'm not even going to say the mark of the true Christian. I'm taking that for granted. What is the mark of the Christian? Well, according to, to Romans 8, I think we could say the mark of the Christian is obedience. Obedience. Let me flesh that out for just a minute. Obedience to what? Obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ. The scripture says, please hear me, the scripture says his commandments are not burdensome. You say, how can that be the mark of the Christian obedience? Isn't a Christian just sheer grace? Yeah, absolutely. A Christian is a new creation of God, not by any of our works. But the mark of the Christian, you could say, is obedience. Obedience to the commands of Christ, and his commands are not burdensome. Obedience empowered by the Spirit. Spirit-empowered obedience. Obedience to the, to the New Testament, obedience to, to Christ Jesus, your Lord, obedience to the commands of Christ. And what are his first and second commandments to you here this morning? Especially if you are an unbeliever, listen to me. His command to you is sweet. He says, come to me, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He is not a taskmaster. He is the Lord and Savior of the universe who died in your place and rose again if you will trust him with your life and with your eternity. Repent, and then following that, be baptized, as Peter said, for the forgiveness of your sins. Obedience is the mark of the Christian spirit-empowered obedience, and with Joshua 7, we see clearly the covenant people of God, disobedience. And then finally, as I close... I mentioned already that you should think of Adam and Eve in the garden. Joshua there in Joshua chapter 7, it's, it, it was never going to fail. There was never a chance. There was never a chance that Achan would be able to keep his secret. Never a chance. It went from the tribe to the clan to the family to man by man, and Joshua comes up to Achan and he says, My son, give glory to God. Don't hold back anything that you've done. And he, what did he say? What did Achan say? What is at the root of Achan's sin? What is at the root of his sin? That he took some of the things? No. That he stole? No. That he lied? No. He did all of those things. But what did he say like Eve? I saw. Listen, listen, I saw and it looked good. So therefore I took and I stole and I lied. You see, it's all about the heart. It starts in the heart. And in the same way, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 7? Listen to me. He highlights one particular thing. 
He highlights one thing out of everything that he could have said. And he says, this shows you the sinfulness of sin and its covetousness. This is the root of Joshua chapter seven. This is the issue because the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. He saw, he coveted, and we're talking about idolatry. We're talking about greed and the gospel by the grace of God comes in and it changes greedy people. And the gospel through Jesus Christ changes covetous people because this is the issue with Achan, his covetousness. Greed, said it so many times, right? Because it's scriptural. Greed is idolatry. Beware of greed. Beware of greed. Beware of idolatry. Paul says in Romans 7, this is the mirror that showed me the sinfulness of sin and led me to Christ, I would say. Oh, I realized I am a covetous man. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. We'll take just a moment of silence. Lord, help us with Joshua 7, your word. Help us through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord God, not to miss you in this passage. This passage is not about us. It is about your majesty. It is about how you are not at all wrong to lead your people in this instance to burn and to stone. God, give us an awakening to your glory. Wake us up to who you are. May we walk in the fear of you. Open our eyes. Wake us up, Lord, and cause us to rejoice in Christ. Cause us to weep and to rejoice in the gospel. Lord, help us as a church Maybe one of the things, one of the examples that we might most naturally think of might be the issue of pornography. Lord, while we don't focus on any one thing, Lord, at the same time, we, we don't shy away from being specific. So, Lord, help us. We confess that in this and other things, Lord, we confess our sin. Lord, would you help us? Would you grow us, Lord? Whether it be this or gossip, Lord, root it out. Lord, may Crossway Church be a true safe place, not a superficial safe place, but a true safe place. Lord, that we would seek holiness together. Lord, help us in light of the cross. Melt us, even as the hearts of the people of Israel melted away with fear. Lord, melt our hearts through the Holy Spirit not with fear, but with the spirit of adoption through your love. Oh God, may we worship, may we worship with hearts melted by the love of Christ. We pray in his name, amen.